0: The following sermon was delivered by Pastor Frank Griffith in the Sunday morning service at Calvary Community Church in Brentwood, California. You'll find more information at calvarytruth.org. Good morning. I want you to turn with me to uh, First Thessalonians, if you would. What you heard read this morning in Acts 17 is the background to this book. Uh, Paul took the gospel to Thessalonica preached there for three, three Sabbath days. That means he was only there three weeks, is what the implication is. And yet there was a whole host of people in the synagogue who turned to Christ in faith. But what that did, it made the leadership very jealous and angry. And so they were the ones who instigated all this resistance to Paul and had him kicked out of town. And so he went to Berea, which was about 11 miles away, on foot, by the way, how 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 long would it take you to walk ten miles? It takes uh, the average walker who walks briskly. It takes about 150 minutes to go ten miles. It takes me about three hours. <laughs> but uh, this this is um, this was what they were facing. Now Paul and Silas and and the rest of the party, Timothy and and the whole a party that brought the gospel to Thessalonica, went there because they wanted these, first of all, they would always go, this was the habit of Paul, he would always go to a synagogue, which was like, it was kind of the equivalent of a, a church in, the, in, the, in this era. It was a gathering of Jewish people to worship every Sabbath day, which was Saturday. Saturday is still the Sabbath day. Sunday's not the Sabbath day, it's the Lord's day. And so we meet on Sunday because we're celebrating a risen Christ. But they met on Saturday because it was the day that God set apart as the day he rested after finishing the creation. And he rested, and so it was, it was a part of the law that on Saturday they met together and worshipped the living God, the creator of all things. So Paul went there, and for three Sabbath days, he told them about Jesus, who was the Messiah, he told them what the Old Testament had said about him, and he showed that Jesus had fulfilled all of these prophecies concerning who the Messiah would be. And a great host of them turned to Christ. Now, in every synagogue, uh, there would be Jews primarily, but there would also be some Gentiles called God-fearers. And a god God-fearer was a description of Gentiles who thought that the God of Israel was a true and living God, and so they came and worshipped alongside of the Jews. Now they were second-class citizens in the synagogue uh, th- because they weren't Jewish. Only Jews had the place the primary place. So when Paul, who was a Jew and who was a teacher, an official teacher among the Jews, when he came to, synagogue, to the synagogue in Thessalonica, they welcomed him to speak, and he began to tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ. But what happened was, because so many of these Gentiles, these God-fearers, turned to Christ, believed the gospel, believed that Jesus was the Christ, that it angered the Jewish leadership. And so they drove Paul out of the synagogue. Now, what, I'm, what I'd like to do in this passage, first of all, is just answer, ask the text some questions. This is how you do Bible study, by the way. When you're studying a text of Scripture, you want to ask questions of the text— and uh, these are real simple, but there's, there's about six questions we need to ask it. The first one is, what was it that Paul could endure no longer? Because he says, because I could endure it no longer, I sent Timothy back up to Thessalonica. Now, I'll show you on the map in just a second why he's writing to them from Athens. But this is what he said. He said, but we, brethren, having been taken away, that, that's the word orphaned, op orphanizo, uh, we were orphaned from you. Now, what that implies is he actually cared about these people. See, this is a part of discipleship. Discipleship making, disciple making is a role of the church. This is primarily what we are supposed to be doing. And what happens is it's a team sport. You can't do it just one person on one person. It is a part of a community. And people come to follow Jesus Christ. They come to know him and follow him and we work together in explaining to them what the gospel is and then what the implications for our lives are in regards to following jesus christ so making disciples is trying to is influencing people in the power of the spirit to follow jesus christ they become more and more like him have you met any christians that are more like christ than other people that you've met sure we that ought to be true anyway <laughs> we are we are being conformed into the image of his son. That's what God is doing in our lives. And so we're in the process of making disciples. Now, what Paul is saying is what he couldn't what he could endure any longer was being separated, orphaned from these Thessalonians who he had seen come to faith in Christ, and he was interested in their life. The other day I had a conversation on the phone with an old friend of mine I met in college, and I asked him, I said, you know, I've been wondering about something because I've been thinking a lot about discipleship. And I said, why was it that when I met you, I was, a, I was a junior in college, and we met up. We met each other. We both had come from the same background. We both had grown up in Pentecostal churches, and we had experienced very much the same thing. We both had become Calvinists, uh, believing that the Bible clearly taught that God, before the foundation of the world, set his love upon us. That's what the Bible says. And so we began to believe this, and it got us in all kinds of trouble. He, he had to leave his denomination, I had to leave mine. But well, we became very good friends. But here's what I was asking him. What was it that caused you to be so interested in seeing me grow in Christ? Why did you spend so much time uh, dealing with me in that way? Because I couldn't, I didn't understand. What was it? He says, what happened was God put a love for you in my heart, and I wanted to see you grow. I wanted you to become more and more like Christ. And so he began to treat me in that way. And it was the first time I'd ever experienced that, where somebody took an interest in how I was doing spiritually, and he wanted to see me grow. That's what disciple-making is, and it's what should characterize every Christian's life. It should characterize every local church. We are a team of people who make disciples for Jesus Christ. And this is what was happening with Paul. Now, what we see in this passage is Paul is letting us know how his heart was affected by all of this. He's letting us know what disciple-making is really like from the inside out, how it affected him. Now, when was the last time you ever thought of being orphaned from somebody? You know, some people come into your life and then they leave... Do you ever think, wow, I feel like I've been orphaned from them? That <laughs> They're gone, or they're no longer in my life, and we were so close. And uh, that's what Paul said. He said these people had been so, become so close to him because they had heard the gospel, believed the gospel, began to follow Christ, and he kept having input in their lives until he was driven out of town. And when he was driven out of town, he went to Berea. So the first question is what was it that he could endure no longer? And that was separation from these people. He couldn't take it to be that separated from these brothers and sisters in Christ. Are you ever bothered by that? That ever does that ever affect you? Well, that affects you if you're doing if you're making disciples. Because what will happen is you'll begin to care about them. You'll begin to actually care what's going on in their heart what's happening in their life. And so he says, notice, we, brethren, having been taken away, that is, orphaned from you, for a short time in person, not in spirit. In other words, we still thought about you all the time. We were all the more eager and, and with great desire to see your face. That's something. He's saying this about these people he's known for about a month. And he goes on, for we wanted to come to you. From where? From, from Athens. Why did he go to Athens? because he got driven out of town. Paul was run out of town, first to Berea, which was 11 miles to the west. And and so they walked to Berea. And they found that people there wanted to hear the gospel, but the the Jewish leaders in Thessalonica heard about it, and so they went over to run him out of Berea. And they ran him out of Berea, and so he goes all the way down to Athens, which is a long ways, it's about 190 miles. How long would it take you to walk 190 miles? About about 40 hours. It's basically a, it's like a 40-hour week job. It would take you about 40 hours to walk from Thessalonica to Athens. And that's where Paul is when he's writing this letter. And what he's telling them is, my heart was breaking because I had been separated from you and I had to be left alone in Athens so that I could send Timothy back to find out how you were doing. And he says, um, for you are our glory and joy, verse 20, therefore, when we could endure it no longer, we thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone. In the, the original language, that is a, a really a, a strong statement. He's saying, I was deserted in Athens. I felt like I was all alone. I was abandoned. I had nobody there. They were all gone because I had to send them back to find out how you were. And so he sends them up to Thessalonica. Here's a map. See that map? I can't turn around and and do anything, but if you see that arrow pointing down, that's Thessalonica. It's called Thessalonica today. But uh, that's Thessalonica, and that's where he went and preached the gospel. And then off to the, the west just a little bit, there's another symbol there, and that is Berea. Eleven-mile walk to Berea. Now, eleven miles didn't take near as long as as 190 miles, but it was about 11-hour. Uh, it was it was 45 miles. I'm sorry, it was 45 miles, and it took about 11 hours to walk there. I don't think you and I could do that, but that's the Apostle Paul walked everywhere he went. You wonder what kind of car did he have? He had no automobile. He had no... He sometimes, once he was on a horse or a steed of some kind, when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, and he fell off the horse onto the ground and became blinded by the glorious light of the presence of Jesus Christ. That's that's quite a way to 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 meet Jesus Christ, isn't it? To be slain so that you can't see and you don't know what to say. But ever since that day, God had been working in the life of the Apostle Paul to make disciples of Jesus Christ. That is to see them come to faith in Christ and rest their faith in Christ, and then to follow him, to follow him and become like him. Anybody see on the news that that fire, I forget where it was, but the the people are on the second floor, and they had a little baby, and then they had a two-year-old, I think it was. And there were some guys down on the ground. And so he begins yelling, somebody catch my baby. And so one of these guys said, drop your baby. I've got him or her. It was, I don't know if it was a girl or boy, drops the baby. The baby just falls through the sky into his arms and he catches the baby and the baby's fine. And then they drop the two-year-old. That's faith. That's exactly what faith means. It means to entrust yourself to someone. It means to give yourself completely and put all of your weight on on this truth that you have come to believe. We have faith in Jesus Christ, which means I have put all of my weight upon him. I put my whole future on him. I believed on the Lord Jesus Christ because I believed the testimony of the father concerning his son. And what did the father say about him? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Believe on him. Trust him. And that's what we did. We trusted him. And so in our Christian lives, what we do is we learn how to trust him in everyday life. That's what discipleship is all about. So it was torture for Paul to be separated from them. And that's what disciple-making produces in the heart of people. What happens is it has to become not your duty. It's not your duty to make disciples. It's your delight to make disciples. And when it becomes your delight, your heart is going to be vulnerable. And you're going to find out that there are times when your heart aches for people that God has put in your life for you to, to feed them the truth of the gospel and all of its implications in our lives. And that's what, exactly what happened to the Apostle Paul. And so then the next question that, he, that we should ask the text is, why did Paul send Timothy to the Thessalonians? He had a team of several men. And he decides to send Timothy, the youngest one. And you might think, well, it's because he could walk faster than the rest of them. After all, it was a long ways back, 190 miles back to Thessalonica. Thessalonica, But that wasn't it. There was something about Timothy. And he tells you what it is. He tells you that Timothy had the qualifications to carry out this task. He says, he is our brother. This is verse 2. The first part of verse 2 says, he is our brother and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he sent Timothy. The other part is the Thessalonians need. That's found in the last part of verse two. It says, he went there to strengthen and encourage them in their faith. See, Paul was all concerned about their faith. He wasn't concerned about whether they had a good job or they had a good car or they had a credit card. He was concerned about their faith in Jesus Christ. What he was afraid of is because he got run out of town and went all the way down to Athens that perhaps their faith would be undermined by the enemies of the gospel. And so because of that concern, he wanted to hear how they were doing. So he sends Timothy to find out how they're doing. He sends Timothy all the way back to Thessalonica in order to find out what's going on and how they're doing. Now, what was Paul's concern about them? Well, he says, when I can endure it no longer, I also send to find out about your faith. He's concerned about their faith. The state of their faith. Your faith is that part of you that believes the truth about Jesus Christ. You ever gone through struggles with your faith? You ever go through those times when you don't know if you believe all this or not? This is the reason God's giving you the Word of God. He's giving you the Bible in order to build your faith. It tells you the truth about yourself. All Scripture is God-breathed and profitable for, for teaching. And for reproof and for correction and instruction in righteousness, that the man of God, the person of God, the person who is following Jesus Christ will be thoroughly furnished for every good work. God has called you to make disciples, and the, the primary uh, resource he's given you is his word, this God breathed word, this Bible that according to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, is alive and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. It's able to penetrate into your heart. It lays you bare. It shows you the truth about yourself. It's fun to believe lies about yourself, isn't it? You know, the good lies, like, everybody really likes me. And sometimes we don't want to hear the truth. Uh, I, I've quoted uh, Jack Miller many times, cheer up, you're worse than you think, and you're loved far more than you ever believed you know that? You really are worse than you think. And I'm worse than I think. I actually am aware of that. But I also know that I'm loved more than I've ever been able to believe. This is, this is a tr- the troubling thing for many Christians, that when they find out that in the Bible, God loves people. Every person he brings in your path that he wants you to bear witness to Every person he brings down in your path, he loves. God loves people. It's an amazing thing. And I think sometimes what we think is we're supposed to hate certain kinds of people. You know those people that live those kind of lifestyles that we really don't like? We're not, we're supposed to withhold love. What if God put somebody in your path that was a a prostitute? And some people brought her... Now, this happened to Jesus. Some people, the Pharisees brought this woman before Jesus and threw her down at his feet and said, this woman was caught in adultery. And they wanted him to cast the first stone. What did Jesus say? He said, let him who has no sin cast the first stone. Well, guess what? He was the only one there who had no sin. But he wouldn't cast a stone. Why not? She's a real sinner. Why wouldn't he cast a stone at her? Because he didn't come to judge, he came to save. And so he brought good news to her. Because when he said, whoever has no sin, let him cast the first stone, they all walked away. They dropped their stones and walked away. And Jesus said, where are your judges? Where are they? I don't know. They all left. And he says, neither do I judge you. Go and sin no more. And you think, wow, that doesn't sound like the gospel. Well, if the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, said that to you, let me tell you, it would have an incredible impact on your life. That would be more than momentary. And this is what he said to her. Or what about the time when he was at the Pharisee's house and a woman comes in and begins to weep over his feet and wash his feet and then dry dry them with her hair? And the Pharisee who had him over got all offended by it because he said, This guy can't be a prophet. This woman is a sinner. And if he if he was a prophet, he would know who she was, and he wouldn't let her touch him. See, that's how a lot of Christians think about certain kinds of people. That we should make sure they know we hate them. Well, that isn't true. Jesus has put you in put people in your path that don't meet up to your standard, and yet they need Christ. And God wants you to bear witness to them. He wants you to be the one to share the gospel with them. And that's why the believer has to be so convinced of the the grace of God in Christ Jesus. He has to be so convinced that God can save people, all kinds of people, through his son, that whoever comes into your path, instead of getting in a big argument with them because they don't have the same politics as you do, for you to share with them the truth of salvation in Christ Jesus alone. That's what he's called you to do. And that's what he he has called all of us to do. It's what Jesus did. We watch him as he does this. Now, the third question there, what was Paul's concern about this? He said, I just my concern was I didn't want your faith to be undermined I wanted you to continue on and growing and becoming more like Christ and then the fourth question is what was the good news that Timothy brought back to Paul when he came back to Thess to uh, Athens he goes up to Thessalonica he finds out what's happening and then he comes back to Paul so 40 hours up and 40 hours back down <laughs> and he comes to Paul and this is the news that he brings him but now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us good news of your faith and love. I, I hope those two words ring in your ear, faith and love. You know where that comes from, right? That's the fruit of the Spirit. In other words, I saw evidence. Paul, Tim, Timothy comes back and says, I saw evidence of the fact that they truly are disciples of Jesus Christ. Their faith and love continues to grow and deepen. How do you know somebody's really saved? You know, it would be nice to have some kind of little um, device that we had that we could tell when people really got saved. You know, like the sinner's prayer. If you say this, if you you listen to my words and say the same thing, you'll be a Christian. You know that's not true? Because people can lie. It's possible to say the words and not mean it. You have to, what do you have to do? You confess with your mouth that Jesus raised, that, G- that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. There has to be both the mouth and the heart. You have to believe in your heart the truth about Jesus Christ. And when you put your trust in him, he will save you. But you know what? Sometimes you can't tell until you see the evidences of faith. Now, James says faith without any evidence, faith without any results, faith without any effects can't save anybody. Because it's not real faith. Faith that has effects, that, that changes the heart, that's, that's saving faith. That's coming to have real faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what he, the news that Timothy brings back is, they really have faith. You see, they really did believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. They're growing in their faith and their love for each other. And he says that you always think kindly of us longing to see us just as we also long to see you. They miss you as much as you miss them. They feel, they were afraid that Paul had just abandoned them. But he hadn't abandoned them. He'd been carried out of town because he would be killed if he remained in town. And then the fifth question is, how did Timothy's report affect Paul? Listen to what this says. For this reason, brethren, in all our distress and afflictions, we were comforted about you through your faith. For now, we really live if... You stand firm in the Lord. You care that much? You see what he's saying? He says he cares this much about them. He wants to know that they're standing firm in their faith. He wants to know that they're really believers in following Jesus Christ. He says, that's when we really live. That gives me life. In other words, he's delighted over the fact that there is evidence in their life that they truly have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. For what things can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice before our God on your account? I had an experience this actually just a few days ago with somebody I was sharing the gospel with, and they gave every sign of being of really believing the truth of the gospel. They were delighted over it, and I was delighted over their delight. This is this is wonderful, isn't it? to see somebody who embraces the gospel of Jesus Christ and joy fills their heart. And so Paul is delighted. That's how it affected him. He says, for this reason, brethren, in all of our distress and affliction, we were comforted about you through your faith. For now, we really live if you stand firm in the Lord. For what things can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice before our God on your account? This was a great blessing to Paul. If I don't, if I don't rejoice over seeing people come to Christ, there's something wrong with my heart. Something desperately wrong with my heart. He says, as we night and day keep praying most earnestly, night and day, we pray most earnestly that we may see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith. You see, what happens in making disciples is you get to know people, and you see where they lack in the area of their faith. And so you want to see them come to maturity in their faith. That's what making disciples is. And then finally, the last question is, so how did it impact Paul's prayer for them? Well, listen to his prayer. Begin in verses 11 through 13. He says, now, may our God and Father himself and Jesus, our Lord, direct our way to you, And may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people. This is one of the primary effects of faith in Christ, is that you begin to love fellow believers. And in fact, you love all people. You begin to catch yourself loving people that you used to hate. Remember what Jesus said to his followers? You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, what he meant by that, he, they had heard this because this is what the Jews thought. Love your Jewish neighbor and hate your Gentile enemy. And Jesus said, but I say unto you, love your enemies. Do good to those who want to harm you. He goes on in this, in down in verse 13, so that we may, he may establish your hearts without blame in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. When Christ comes back and gets his people, you'll rejoice because you'll see those people that God used you to bring them to faith in Christ and to grow in Christ. And you'll rejoice with joy inexpressible as they stand before Christ and are welcomed by him. This is a huge, huge ministry that God has called you to, to be disciple makers. It's glorious. It's wonderful. Every step of it. It isn't just the end result, it's the whole process that you begin to see reflected in their lives the impact of the Spirit of God working in their life. You you understand that no one can get saved until the Holy Spirit comes in power and opens their eyes to the truth about Jesus Christ. This is what Paul says in Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. The God who said that light shine into darkness has caused the light of the glory of God to shine in the face of Christ in the hearts of those who hear the gospel. So what do we need? We need the Holy Spirit to work. We need to understand that every time I bear witness to somebody, I need to pray that the Spirit of God would do something supernatural and open their eyes and let them see. It isn't that I need to get louder and more, Uh, get some better jokes. It's that I need the Spirit of God not only to empower me to share Christ, to tell people what the gospel is. If you don't know how to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, let me give you a simple little way to do this. You turn to 1 Corinthians 15, and you get the, the facts of the gospel there. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And then he says, and he was buried. That means... He, he was so, he was really dead. He really died for us. And so they buried him. And then it says that he was raised from the dead according to the scriptures. Now you ought to know where to go in the Old Testament because that's what scriptures mean in that context. This is what the Old Testament scripture said. It said that when he comes, he's going to die for our sins and he's going to be buried and he's going to be resurrected. Where would you go? Well, let me tell you where to go. <laughs> You go to Isaiah 53, and it says he will see his seed, which means those who come to faith in him, and be satisfied. He's going to be raised from the dead, and the work of God is going to prosper in his hands. He's alive. You talk to him all the time, don't you? You, you actually treat him as though he's alive, because as you're driving down the road by yourself, you're talking to Jesus. And you're talking to him as though he's alive. Well, he is. He really is alive. And so, First the, the Corinthians 15 tells us the facts of the gospel. Jesus died for our sins. He was buried. He was raised from the dead, and he was seen by over 500 people at one time. He mentions several individuals, and then he says, "And by 500 people at one time." Now, what that tells you is, he paid, he died in order to pay for our sins. He was buried because he really died. He was raised from the dead. To say, for God to say, I accept this sacrifice for sins. And he was seen to prove that he really was raised from the dead. People who knew him, people who had seen him in the flesh before he was crucified, and they saw him crucified. Remember his walk to, on the Emmaus Road when he walked those 11 miles with those disciples, and they're all groaning about how they thought Christianity was going to be the answer that that this Jesus, who had come on the scene, was the real Messiah, but they were lamenting, we thought it was real he was truly the Messiah, but it turned out he was killed, all of our hopes were dashed, and they're talking to Jesus, and they don't know it, and so he's walking alongside them, and finally, when they get to where they're going, he goes in to share a meal, and when he breaks the bread, their eyes are opened, and they see him for who he is, and they realize that this was a part of the plan of God. Jesus came to die because that's what we needed. We needed a Savior who, we, who could pay for the penalty for our sins and to reconcile us to God. Now, I have a relationship with God simply because Jesus has reconciled me to God. Why would God ever give me a second thought? Why would he ever listen to my words? We're going to pray tonight at 5 o'clock. We're going to meet and pray. And uh, one of the things I wanted to talk about tonight is a simple little acronym for prayer, ACTS, A-C-T-S, which stands for Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, and Supplication. That's a a simple way of saying, okay, what do we want to do when we pray? Well, we want to adore God. We want to worship Him. We want to tell Him what we have come to know about Him. is true. He's glorious. And we want to Confess our sins to Him, because He says, "If we confess our sins, He's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness." And then we want to give Him thanks, and then we want to supplicate. Which supplication is a beautiful word. It just means when you tell God what you what you feel, the depths of your feelings about what you really need. You need Him to empower you. You need Him to work in your life in a way that seems impossible. You want him to bring you to the place where you gladly and joyfully share the gospel with people who desperately need to hear it. And you may be surprised at some point when God causes his gospel to penetrate the heart of a person you never thought you would be able to share the gospel in a way that somebody would believe. But you can, because you have the Holy Spirit and you have the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so uh, Paul couldn't endure being apart from these people, and so he sends Timothy back from from Athens to Thessalonica, this long trip, 190 miles, 40 hour walk. I uh, I walk uh, a couple miles a day. I walk. I try to walk 10 miles a week in the five for five days. You know, five days of. I don't. I don't do it. I'm not all that faithful. But but I'd really try for this to be a pattern in my life. But I can't walk that fast. I couldn't walk 10 miles in that short of a time. It tells us that we we should be able to do it in, in 150 minutes. That's just a little over two and a half hours. Or it is two and a half hours, isn't it? I can't walk that fast. But imagine if God wanted you to take the gospel to somebody and they lived and your car wouldn't start and they lived a mile away, would you, would you walk a mile to share the gospel? Would you, take a, would you take an hour to take a walk so you could share the gospel with somebody? And you know, in most cases, you don't even have to walk a mile. All you have to do is just pay attention God brings people right into your path and you have this great opportunity to share Christ with them. And if you remember in Acts 16, Acts 16, uh, Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And so they start giving him answers. You know, they think maybe you're one of the prophets because he's doing miracles. And so who is this guy? What's going on? Well, maybe that's Elijah come back. Who who is this? And then finally Jesus says, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter, the apostle with a foot-shaped mouth, who was always saying the wrong thing, says, in the King James, it says it this way, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. You are the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one that the Old Testament promised, the son of the living God. What did Jesus say to him? Jesus said to him, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. My father in heaven revealed this to you through his spirit. He's opened your eyes so you know the truth about who I am. Now, remember, Peter was the guy that just not too long before this denied Jesus three times because it was dangerous for him to say, I'm one of his followers. And so he said, I don't even know the guy. I don't know what you're talking about. And now he confesses, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. How did that happen? It happened because the Holy Spirit, God caused the Holy Spirit to open Peter's eyes to the truth of who Jesus was. And you know what? That can happen to you when you're sharing the gospel with somebody, and you think, I'm making a mess of this. I'm getting all mixed up. You know, I think it's in and you start thinking about, where where, could, where is, where are all these statements in Scripture that I could pass on to this person? Well, you know, you could memorize a few verses, and they would stick with you. Like John 3.16 and First John 3.16. Memorize those two. Or just the addresses. You can always open your Bible and say, hey, read this. Read this, John 3.16, and then read this, First John 3.16. Just have people listen, hear the word of God coming out of their own mouth. They probably think, I never thought I would ever utter these words. And what if the spirit were to take those words that are coming out of their mouth and penetrate their heart and cause them to actually believe? You ever hear about that guy who was a, uh, now I can't remember, It it was a club that... I think it was a Whitfield club, and they made fun of George Whitfield when he preached because he preached out in the open air, and he was really quite a, quite a preacher. And he could g- gather a crowd, a huge crowd. And they had a little club, and these guys used to make fun of him. And so what happened was the guy that was a leader of the group could, he could mimic Whitfield to a T. He could sound just like him. And one time, what happened was he was mimicking Whitfield sharing the gospel, and so he's talking. He's mimicking Whitfield in what he said about Jesus coming into the world and dying for our sins, and he got saved. He believed his words that came out of his mouth. He was, all he was trying to do was to make fun of Whitfield, but what he ended up doing was preach himself into the kingdom of God. Steve Brown is a radio preacher. If you've ever heard him. He, uh, he pastored for about 10 years, and he wasn't a believer. And finally, what happened to him was he started believing what he was preaching, and he came to faith in Christ. He's got the most incredible voice. He's got a radio voice, this low, you know, gravelly voice, gravelly voice. It's not really gravelly. It's just low and robust, and uh, he preached himself into the kingdom. You know, you might be surprised if you just opened your mouth and uttered the truth that you know. If you just said the truth that you know about who Christ is and what Christ has done, it might surprise you. God may use that very incident to bring a person into the kingdom of God, and then you would have the opportunity to actually make disciples of them, to pour your life into them. I want to tell you that this is what we're called to do. We're called to make disciples. And there's a thousand reasons why we don't want to do it. Some of us are afraid. We're so nervous about ever speaking up to anybody that they'll think, well, who do you think you are? Why are you telling me what I should believe? But what you don't realize is that God uses people like us to share Christ with those who desperately need to hear it and he's the one who closes the deal you don't have to get them to say the Lord's pr- or are the sinners prayer you have to you have to get them to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and call them to believe what uh, what the Apostle Paul said to the Philippian jailer was when he says what must I do to be saved and well, Paul hadn't even. What happened? You know what happened. You know the situation. There was an earthquake. All the doors of the jail flew open, and if they would have, if the prisoners would have left, they would have, they would have killed this guy. He would have. The, he had to pay the death penalty. This jailer for letting all of his prisoners go. So he was scared to death. And so Paul, they called out to him They said, "Hey, don't hurt yourself. We're here. We're all here. We're still in the jail." So the guy comes out. And he's stunned by what's happened because they didn't flee, which that's what he expected they would do. And so the jailer says to Paul, well, what must I do to be saved? And he says, well, you got to start going to church. You got to pay tithe. Got to keep the Sabbath. No, he said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Now, believing on the Lord Jesus Christ means that you believe the Father's testimony about him and you have come to rest your faith in who he is. I thought about that guy that dropped his baby out the window to that man. He took one look at him and the fire was impressing on them that they were all going to be killed. But he looked at this guy and he made a judgment. I can trust him. And he drops his little baby into his arms. It flies from the second story down to the ground. He catches it and saves that baby's life. In an instant, he trusted him with probably his most pre- most precious possession. Well, let me tell you, when you start sharing the gospel, you're going to find out there are some people, because the Spirit is at work, opening their eyes, and just like that, they put their faith in Jesus Christ. And then you can tell them how to follow him, and you can begin to make a disciple for Jesus Christ. Oh, your heart's going to be engaged. You can't do this just as a duty. It's got to be a delight. You know, there's two words in Greek, two prominent words in the New Testament for love. One is agape. You've heard this before. Agape. This is how God has loved us. And the word agape uh, is the prominent word for God's love for us. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. But the other word is phileo, from which we get the word uh, Philadelphia, which is the city of brotherly love. Phileo means love that you have for somebody because you take such pleasure in them, in the personal relationship that you have. You really like them. That's the kind of love that's built upon the pleasure of, of knowing someone. But the, but agape is love that's brought out of the heart because you value them. You value them. And let me tell you what happens. If you just let your, allow yourself to be affected, by the Spirit's work, when you're sharing the gospel with somebody, you're going to begin to have a an agape kind of love for them, that you desire to see them come into the kingdom of God and receive this life that you've received. And sometimes you take it for granted, don't you? Sure. Sometimes you take it for granted. And then all of a sudden something hits you. Maybe you hear a song or something and you realize, this is amazing. This is amazing what God's done for me the way he's loved me, and now you have the opportunity to pass it on to someone else who's never experienced it. And this is why it's so wonderful to know people who've been in the faith for many years. Count it a great privilege when God introduces you to people who've been walking with Christ for many years, and you can see the impact of having eternal life. Jesus said that the purpose of eternal life is that we might know God and know Jesus Christ, whom he sent. So he's given us eternal life, not just so we'll live forever, we're going to live forever, but it's because he wants us to know him. He wants us to really know him. And so he's given us eternal life so that we can know him so well that we can tell others about him. And that's what I pray, that we will become a church that is engaged in making disciples for Jesus Christ and who gets so involved in it that we actually love the people that God has put in our, in our lives in order to disciple. And we begin to care about the effects of the gospel and his word in their lives. We begin to see love, joy, peace. And we realize that, that the Spirit of God is at work in their life. He's changing them. It's wonderful. I think it's the most wonderful thing about being married is to see what God is doing in your spouse is to watch His hand and how He works in their lives. And it impacts you. So let me pray for you, and then we're going to sing one more song. Our Father, we so desperately need You to work in our lives to make us what You want us to be. We long, Father, to fulfill this calling that You've put upon our lives to make disciples for Jesus Christ. We count it A great, great privilege, Father, to be among this company that you've given us this gospel to share with people, the the most glorious treasure we could ever imagine, and you've told us to give it away. Just give it away. And we pray, Father, we would take this seriously and that we would experience what it's like to be servants of Christ, used by you to spread the gospel and cause the kingdom of God to continue to grow and expand. Father, we want to be used by you, and we pray that you would grab our hearts and you would uh, produce in us what you always produce in your people. We want to be used by you. We want to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please you in all respects. And so we pray for that, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.